everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so grateful you've decided to spend a few minutes today here with me on The Learner's Corner. And today I am honored to have a returning guest to the podcast, Dan Pink. And I'm going to be talking with him about his brand new book, The Power of Regret, uh, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. And I'll tell you a little bit about Dan here in just a second. But if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I do want to let you know that there's two things that drive a lot, uh, pretty much everything of what we do here on the podcast. And there are two core beliefs. The first one is this, is that we truly want to create a place to where we can have uh, difficult conversations. In fact, we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. And the second one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone and from anything and from everything, regardless of whether or not we agree with that person or on that subject as well. And so if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner or whether or not you've been uh, listening for a long time, I would love to hear some of the things that you would love us to cover on the podcast, whether that be a guest or a topic. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy this content, I have started a Patreon as well, and so I'm going to link to that in the show notes, but if you want uh, some more uh, things that I'm thinking about, things that I'm covering, deeper dives into uh, some of the things that I'm learning from, you can um, go and head over there for just a a few dollars a month, and you're going to get uh, two episodes a month for free to uh, cover all the other stuff that I'm learning from and about. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Dan. As I mentioned, Dan has been... uh, on the podcast before and uh whenever i had uh my co-host uh and my friend todd uh whenever we were doing the learner's corner together we had him on to talk about his book when the scientific secrets of perfect timing which is such a phenomenal book um we'll link to the episode in the show notes on that daniel pink is the author of seven books including the forthcoming which uh it's actually out now uh the power of regret how looking backward moves us forward His other books include the New York Times bestsellers, When, as I mentioned before, and A Whole New Mind. He's uh, got several other books as well, including Drive and To Sell Us Human. Dan's books have won multiple awards and have been translated into 42 languages and have sold millions of copies around the world. And he currently lives in Washington, D.C. with his family. And so that's all that I got for you right now. Let's jump into my conversation with Dan Pink. Well, Dan, I'm so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast. Uh, Caleb, it's great to be with you. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, you know, we're going to talk a lot about uh, your book, The Power of Regret. Um, but one of the things that I would love to ask you first is, you know, I know that, um, you know, even just following you on Twitter, you're constantly posting, you know, news articles and uh, research articles and everything. And so uh, I would just love to hear um, from you, what's some of the stuff that is like capturing your attention or capturing your imagination right now in terms of things that you're learning about? Yeah, uh, there's a there's a lot going there's a lot going on right now. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a few things that I'm trying to pay attention to. Uh, one of them is it, it's going to sound weird, but it's sort of the the future of the office. Uh, what is it? You know, we, we've we've had two years of a lot of people in large organizations working remotely. I don't think that we're going to stay 100% remote, but I don't think we're going to go back to 2018. And that raises some really intriguing questions about what is an office for. 
uh, and I don't think we've worked that out. Um, I think there are other org- I think there are other questions organizations haven't worked out. Things like uh, what kind of work should be done solo? What kind of work should be done together? What kind of work should be done synchronously? What kind of work should be done asynchronously? And um, so that's that's one thing. And um, I'm I'm really interested in some of these new forms of journalism and media that are coming out. Uh, it seems like every single day there's a new venture started uh, to create stories and pictures and words and video and ideas. So I'm interested in that. Uh, I've kind of come around on blockchain um, and trying to realize that it's actually something I should be paying very careful attention to. So I'm trying to understand that. So all kinds of things. Yeah. I want to go back to what you were talking about for the office. What's something that, um, and it, it could literally just be anyone, but what's something that you're seeing that like an organization or someone do that? It's like, wow, they, they are maybe heading towards the right direction of the shift in office work. Yeah, I don't know if there is a right direction. I think we have to. I think people are going to experiment their way to doing it. Uh, what What I do think is that my prediction is that the the, hy- the hybrid model will prevail to the point where we won't even call it hybrid anymore. Um, but I, I so I, I'm sort of I kind of like um, companies. A few companies have doing things like you can you you have total choice over uh, when you come in, but what. We really need everybody to be here on Tuesday. So Tuesdays are days that everybody has to be in the office. Uh, if you leave it entirely to people's devices, it, I mean, people's choices, not their, yeah. their electronic devices. If you leave it entirely to people's choices, uh, then you might not have the kind of collaboration that you would need. So I kind of like that model right now, but I think we're going to figure it out. I don't think we know. I think that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, and I'd uh, love... Um, going back to the media and journalism, how are you kind of seeing that change? I would love just to dig down a little bit deeper on that. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's that's happening is 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 that you know, in a world where of social media, of Zoom, of of ubiquitous uh, mobile phones, of people taking broadband connections so um, as, as such a premise of their lives that if they get if it gets interrupted for a minute, they go out of their minds. Uh, that, you know, in, in media, you, individuals need organiz- talented organ- uh, individuals, talented individuals need organizations less than organizations need talented. And in- <laughs> obviously, I'm not a talented individual. What I'm trying to say is that is that organizations need the talent more than the talent needs the organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that has some that has some interesting implications. There's some interesting implications for. The, the business model. So there are a handful of people, not very many, you know, I mean, not very many who are able to make a decent living by writing a, their own newsletter from their own office. And, you know, they, they might have only 10,000 subscribers, but those are the right 10,000 people and they're willing to pay. And, you know, so there's some just, all, you know, I think, think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting time. It feels to me with COVID, with the so-called great resignation, with what's going on in the world, that there's a kind of a page turning here and that the next chapters are going to be super interesting. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I'm, and I want to ask one more question about that and then we can uh, talk about the book. Um, like for the person who is, you know, maybe they're the CEO or the leader of the organization or they're, they just have multiple direct reports. Um, how do you lead in that? Like in that dynamic of the organization yeah. needs the individual more and, you know, remote work and all of that. I don't think there's an easy answer to that. Uh, um, I think part of it is, is that you, um, 
you default to giving people greater autonomy. You try to provide a great degree of psychological safety in the organization. You try to infuse what's going on with a sense of purpose. Uh, but but I, I don't think it's something that you just do once and it's over. I think it's essentially the everyday task of what these leaders have to do. Yeah. Uh, well, you've also written this book uh, called The Power of Regret. And anytime that someone releases a book, creates a work of art, I love hearing the story behind it. And so I'd just be curious for you of what led you to explore this topic of regret and want to write a book about it. Well, I think it was because I, w- you know, I had some regrets myself. And, and you know, I'm at a point in my life where I have, I have some mileage on me. I can, I, you know, I can look backward and on, on my life a little bit, um, but I can also look forward in my life. And I think that's a kind of moment when you start thinking about, all right, what did I do wrong in the past and what can I learn from it in the future? I don't think this is a book I would have written 25 years ago. Uh, it's, I think it's a book that I, would, I wrote today. And, and it, 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 I think it's a book that sort of seemed inevitable today. And part of the catalyst was thinking about my own regrets and finding to my surprise that when I very sheepishly mentioned them to other people, they leaned in. And wanted to talk about it and wanted to share theirs. And, and that's actually a really interesting reaction for a writer when people lean into a topic um, and really want to engage, particularly when it's a topic that our culture kind of shies away from. Yeah. What? Talk to me about like that surprising connection that you've seen with other people about wanting to talk about regrets and kind of what that has looked like for you. I think that there's a, a, a tendency with regret that people think that they're the only ones who have a particular regret. So, um, so I, I talked to somebody yesterday, I'll give you an example of it. And he was saying that one of his regrets was recent regrets was being in a situation and, um, somebody in this be, being in like a social gathering and, and somebody said something offensive and he didn't call the person on it. And, and, and as he told me that, I, I feel like he felt a, like some amount of shame about that. And I told him, like, listen, I've collected 16,000 regrets from people in 105 countries. I can, I can go into my database right now and, and search the phrase spoken up, and it'll find you 100 people who have that same regret about not speaking up. And I think that once we, once we share our regrets, and there's some good science on this, that once we disclose our regrets, we begin making sense of them. We begin defanging them a little bit, and that can lead us to a point where we start deriving lessons from them. Yeah. One of the uh, senses that really grabbed me in the book was you talk about how regret is valuable, which is a very, I feel like, um, counterintuitive idea. Yeah. What, what have you found in, in the value of regret? Well, regret is valuable if you treat it right. Here's the thing. Regret is this terrible feeling, okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's an emotion. It's a negative emotion. It makes us feel bad. And so the question then becomes, what do we do with negative emotions? And one approach is to say, we ignore it. Emotions don't matter. Forget about it. I'm going to ignore it. Another approach is to wallow in it and feel bad for ourselves and say, you know, emotions are the only truth because I feel bad. Everything is bad. And my view is that, that emotions are for thinking. And that when we have a negative emotion, particularly regret, which is our most common negative emotion, it's a signal. It's a signal that the world is trying to tell us something and we need to think about it. And so if we deal with these regrets systematically, not ignoring them and not wallowing them, 
they can, there's a lot of evidence showing they can help sharpen our decision making. They can make us better negotiators. They can make us better strategists. That while we can perform better on a whole array of intellectual tasks, we have closer relationships with people. And so if we, you know, what the research tells us very clearly is that everybody has regrets. It is part of our cognitive machinery. We just have to use them properly. And when we do that, we can, there are a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. I, uh, I'd love to dig down on that a little bit more of like, let's say, you know, I, I have a regret. Take me through kind of like, what does it look like to, you know, as you were saying, like, think about the regret, yeah. think about the regret and kind of what that framework can look like, like in the moment when you're experiencing that. Yeah. I mean, I think what, okay. So, the, so to me, what you want to do is you want to look, yeah, I, I sort of think of it like this, uh, uh, inward, outward, forward. Okay, inward, outward, forward. So inward. Look at yourself. And when we when we feel bad, we can we can we can try to pump ourselves up. We can try to like sort of boost our self esteem, or we can just lacerate ourselves. Right. So one is called self esteem. One is called self criticism. Self esteem is overvalued. Uh, there's a lot of evidence showing that 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 self esteem unhinged to any real achievement makes people try less. That um, that self esteem can lead to narcissism. That it can lead to uh, lack of empathy. Uh, we need some, but we can't. We, we don't want to go too far. Self criticism is really interesting. There's very little evidence that it's an effective performance enhancer. Um, it makes us feel virtuous by criticizing ourselves. The better approach when we, for inward is something called self compassion, which is from the work of Kristen Neff, which basically says, I mean, to oversimplify a bit, saying, treat yourself the way you would treat a friend. So if you make a mistake, if you have a regret, if you did something stupid, you probably wouldn't say to your friend, you idiot, what is wrong with you? The way that we say to ourselves. Uh, so treat yourself, treat, yourself the way, treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt and recognize that these kinds of flaws, these kinds of missteps are part of the human condition. Uh, they don't fully define your life. So that's looking inward. Looking outward is, next step is to, uh, to talk about it. And there's a lot of good evidence that disclosing the regret makes people feel better. Uh, what it does is that it relieves the burden. But the other thing that, it, that, that that disclosure, that talking about it or writing about it does is that it takes this very amorphous emotion and reduces it to concrete words. And that makes it less fearsome. And there's some fascinating evidence showing that when we write about negative experiences, we feel better about them. When we write about, we wrote, when we write about positive emotions, we actually feel worse about them. And because what we want is that, so that, that sense-making function of talking about it or writing about it. And then, and then finally is extracting a lesson from it. Uh, and you can do that by actually getting some distance from it, by thinking about how you'll feel about it in a year or two, uh, by, by imagining just even something as simple as what would you tell your best friend to do? Um, and, and so this, this process, so, so you, look, you look inward and treat yourself with some kindness, you look outward and you disclose the regret either in, in spoken word or in writing because that relieves some of the burden of it and it helps you make sense of it. And then you move to extracting a lesson from it that you can apply in the future. Hmm. Uh, one of the things that I want to like ask with that, you know, you're, you're mentioning how the writing can take the emotion out of, out of the thing. At least that's, that's what I'm hearing for. Yeah. Uh, how do you make sure that you're not like, you're not being too quick to disregard the um, the emotion in that. 
Well, no, I, I, the, the very act of writing, it means you're not disregarding it. I mean, what you're doing is you're taking that. What, what I'm saying, and, and this is the work of Sunny Lou Bermersky yeah. of University of California, Riverside, where she has found that when you write about positive. OK, I just had a uh, I just had a great dinner with my family. Let me now write about why it was so great that when you start doing that, you actually reduce some of the terrificness of it because Actually, that positive emotion is a little amorphous, and that and that feels good. Yeah. When for a negative emotion, it's kind of amorphous, and it feels bad. When you make sense of it, writing makes sense of it. It actually defangs it, mm. and so that's that's the key. And so the research shows pretty clearly that disclosing a regret to someone else is valuable. Uh, it actually doesn't make people like us less, and they like us more. It builds affinity rather than gets people to recoil. Uh, and it aids in sense making, and so it's a really, it's a really important, it's a really important part of of um, of destigmatizing regret. Oh, that's great. Uh, I I have something that I want to run by is just kind of like a a theory that I've picked on uh, in my own life, and like I'm doing, and I think it ties into kind of what uh, you're talking about. And I'd be curious your thoughts. Um, one of the things that I learned a lot in 21 or in 2021 is that. Um, like I've identified like a lot of beliefs in my life that like, Hey, I am, I, uh, I, I believe this thing either because I picked it up in childhood or, um, or someone told me through it. And I found myself, uh, having to reexamine those things. And because, okay. um, they've, they've led to, you know, harmful behaviors or just the life that I don't want to live in creating regrets. Yeah. Um, I would just be curious in your thoughts of anything that you picked up in the research along, um, identifying those beliefs that cause us to live out regrets in our life? That's an interesting question. I'm not, I'm not entirely, um, I'm not entirely sure. I think the, 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 the overarching belief is the feeling that when we have regrets that we're the only one who has these regrets and mm-hmm. that's just completely not true. Uh, as I said, um, I have, you know, as part of the research for this book, I did a large public opinion survey uh, of uh, 4,489 Americans, I found that, you know, 83% of people experience regret, at least occasionally. People in America are more likely to experience regret than they are to floss their teeth. Um, so they're, so regret is pervasive. It's yeah. part of our cognitive machinery. Everybody has regrets. The only, the, not having regrets is a sign that you're a five-year-old or you have brain damage or you're a sociopath. Um, and that, uh, but if, but we have to treat them right. Yeah. We have to, we have to reckon with them properly. And, and when we do, they can, it can yield a, 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 a number of benefits. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, how do, how do you deal with or like live with the person who says I have no regrets, especially like if it's, if it's, you know, a stranger or somebody who doesn't mean that much to you in your life, you know, you probably, you know, maybe ignore them, but if it's someone who's really close to you, like, how do you, uh, how do you be with that person? You know, I, what I would do is I would share one. You say, well, that's interesting. You have no regrets. I have a regret. Let me tell you one about my regrets and just invite that conversation. What I found, again, I collected these. I collected this, um, 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 you, you know, as I said, uh, in the, something called the World Regret Survey, 16,000 regrets from people around the world. And I have many entries that say, I don't have any regrets. Um, however, 20 years ago, I stole something from a store and I still feel really bad about it. But I don't have any regrets. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, um, is there is there anything that you saw in the research, or even just through you know going through uh, through the surveys of people 
that um, that might be an indicator that hey, we are might we might be considering something that could be a regret. What do you mean? Like I guess, I'm not sure like I, I guess, like I'm I'm thinking in terms of uh, like decision making and going like, okay, how how can we best avoid regrets? And like, is there oh, okay. anything? Yeah. Okay, so so for so for so avoiding regret, sort of anticipating your regret is actually is actually really important. If we go too much and try to anticipate all our regrets, we end up actually making very risk averse decisions. Um, so what you want to do is you want to anticipate your regrets in four areas. Um, and that's about building a strong foundation. So is this going to, you know, I'm, I'm about to make this decision. Is this going to strengthen my foundation or weaken it? That's a variant because it, if it's weakens the foundation, you're going to regret it. Is this going to be, is this, uh, am I playing it safe or taking a chance? People overwhelmingly regret playing it safe over taking a chance. Uh, is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? Do the right thing. Is it, um, is this, is, is this, um, uh, if I'm, I'm thinking about, reaching out to somebody who I had a relationship with you know, friends or family or whatever, should I reach out or not reach out? Always reach out. When it comes to those things, those four things that these four core regrets that people have, which is building a strong foundation, doing something bold, doing the right thing and connecting with others, you should really seriously anticipate your regrets. Otherwise, don't worry about it. And this is a really this is really important about how we navigate our lives. There are two different decision making ways, two different decision making processes. We can maximize. I'm going to get the best out of every decision that I make, all right? Or we can satisfice. Good enough is good enough. And I think that in some ways, our happiness as a species depends on our ability to maximize what's important and satisfice on everything else. And what the research on regret tells us is that. There is a very limited things, set of things that really matter to us. And so we need to maximize on those and just satisfy on everything else. What are you going to have for dinner? What shirt are you going to wear today? Should I walk this way to work or that way to work? What car should I buy? Don't worry about having regrets on those. Just satisfy. Good enough is good enough. You'll be fine. But when it comes to those four very important things, you really want to anticipate your regrets. You want to go forward 10 years and say, you're, you're about to make a decision about whether you should, um, um, uh, you, you've had a friend and you've, you've, you've grown apart and you're saying, should I, should I reach out or not reach out? Go forward five years and say, will you regret, reach, which will you regret more, not reaching out or reaching out? No question about that. Act on that. Um, but the, the other, uh, so maximize on what's important and satisfies and everything else. Yeah. Uh, and I know that you spend like a good a good section of this book going into each each one of those. Um, I just want to focus on uh, two of them for the foundation yeah. and for the relationship stuff. Is there anything like what what did you find in the research that might be like a unique thing for the foundational regrets or the relationship regrets? Um, and like just things to consider as we're thinking about those things. Yeah. So so foundation regret is if only I'd done the work. And these are regrets about these are regrets about smoking, say, or not exercising or not working hard enough in school. And, um, you know, and essentially it's about, you know, if you think about the Aesop fable, people regret not being the grasshopper, being the, not being the grasshopper. Uh, I mean, not being the ant uh, who diligently, who, they regret being the grasshopper uh, and not doing, and not doing the work. And so that's something to consider. Now, foundation regrets are a little complicated because, you know, 
so, there's a difference. There's a different level of opportunity that people have. But in general, you know what what you, what you want to do is if you if you're thinking about your life, should I put in the time and do the work, or should I should I not? Go forward five years, look back on that decision. What do you want? What will you have want to do? What will you have want to done in five five years from now? Which of these two decisions will you regret? For something like that, anticipating your regret is really important. The same thing is true with with meaningful relationships. I can't tell from this research what shouted out to me is how important friendships are to people and how often friendships don't explode, but they drift apart. And what happens is, is that one person wants to reach out, but they say, you know what? It's going to be awkward to reach out and the other side isn't going to care. And inevitably, so it drifts apart even more and the regret deepens. However, they're wrong. What the lib- their experience and also just what the research shows is that it's rarely awkward and it's almost always well received. We're completely wrong about that. And, you know, you turn like, like, let's I, I did this so many times in these interviews, Caleb. It's like, let's say that let's say there's a there's a uh, you, you have um, you have a uh, Maria and um, and Susan. All right. And Maria's like, oh, yeah, I was really good friends with Susan. We kind of drifted apart and I've been meaning to reach out, but it feels kind of awkward. And, you know, and she's not going to care anyway. And I say to her, well, how would you feel if Susan reached out to you? And Maria says, I would love it. I would be so touched. It would be the greatest thing. And I'm like, I think you've answered your own question there, Maria. Uh, yeah. Um Another, so I think one of the yeah. one of the one of the big takeaways yeah. it, it, when we study regret, one of the big takeaways for me and is always reach out. If you are in a position in your life where you have a choice of reaching out or not reaching out, reach out. The fact that you're in the the fact that you are in that choice gives you the answer to that question. Yeah. If you are if you are saying if you are if you're at a juncture and you're saying should I buy a blue car or a gray car? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Honestly, there's a, there's a pile of evidence. That doesn't matter. Don't worry about your regret. Oh my God, am I going to regret having a blue car? Oh my God, am I going to regret having a gray car? Pick a freaking car. It's good enough. It ultimately isn't going to matter. But reaching out to your friend, that's going to live with That regret is going to live with you. Doing the wrong thing, that is going to live with you. Um, um, not being bold, that is going to live with you. Not building a foundation, that is going to live with you. What surprised you the most in your research or what's something that you changed your mind about regret in the research? Well, one of them was, I mean, I, like, I don't know if it changed my mind so much, but it sort of deepened something that was a weaker, well, weak position, I guess, which is, as I said earlier about the importance of friendship, friendship is so meaningful in people's lives. And when it erodes, when it comes apart, people feel really bad and they feel a sense of responsibility. And, and in part there is, and yet they also feel a deep hesitance toward doing something about it. So, so that surprised me. The other thing I think that surprised me, Caleb, was how relatively little variation there is based on nationality, based on some different, slight differences in gender, some slight differences in age, some very, very slight differences in race. But in general, how universal the things are that we regret. One of the things that I was really curious to ask you about is um, how how does this idea? Uh, well, I, I know how it plays out in in some aspect, but I think of um, like a boss 
or a leader or even a parent, um, how do you like, how do you lead someone like just through regret? Like on, um, yeah, I was just really curious, like how, how would you say like your research and just kind of the book and stuff like that applies to like the leadership world or role? Well, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, so much about so much about what leadership is, is as, as we we're talking about earlier, is essentially how do you act? Um, you know, in many cases, people don't really listen to what leaders say, but they watch keenly what they do. So if you are talking about your regrets, you know, not overwhelmingly, but if you disclose a couple of your regrets and talk about what you learned from them and how you're going to apply that lesson going forward, that's a powerful thing to do for a leader. That's a powerful, powerful thing to do for a leader. Um, yeah, there's, there, there are um, uh, one technique that I like are people who put together failure resumes. So you put together a resume, not about all the awesome things that you've accomplished, but all the things you've screwed up. And you go through that list and you extract a lesson from those. I think that's a powerful, I think that's a very powerful technique. There are other companies that will um, celebrate re- really kind of incredible mistakes, you know, really kind of like triumphant mistakes that people make, not mistakes because people were not conscientious or because they were foolish, but because they tried something, it didn't quite work. And let's celebrate, let's celebrate the try. Um, so there are all kinds of things that leaders can do, but I guess the most important thing is um, modeling the behavior that you want. Yeah. Uh, I got two other things I want to ask you about. Um, but before that, I always just love asking, is there anything that we haven't covered uh, in the power? I mean, I know that there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about in the power of regret. Is there anything that just comes to mind that it's like, you want to make sure that you mention this um, about the book or about the research? Well, I mean, I think that we've, we've been circling it a little bit, but again, you know, I looked at these 16,000 regrets from people all over the world. And what it came down to is that around the world, people have these same four regrets that we've been talking about. And what's important about these four regrets is that they operate as a photographic negative of the good life. Uh, because I think that if we understand what people regret the most, we understand what they value the most. And so this emotion, this negative emotion, it seems so aversive to us, actually gives us a path to a life well-lived. I think that's the big, big takeaway for this book. Mm. And what would you say is, like, what's at stake if we don't dive into or learn from our regrets? Oh, uh, we, we, we don't grow. We don't build meaningful relationships. Uh, and we end up um, ending our lives wondering what might have been rather than leading a life of meaning and fulfillment. There's a uh, lot at stake. Yeah. I mean, what's at stake? It's a great question. What's at stake is, do you want to spend your limited time on this planet doing something meaningful and connecting with people you love, or do you want to squander this time? Yeah. Uh, and the last thing is just a pure personal curiosity uh, for me is what's like a, a book or two that you've read in the last year that has like radically shifted, or I don't know about radically shifted your thinking, but it's got you thinking or it's um, changed your mind on something. Yeah. There, um, there are, well, it's interesting you say that because this has been a weird year for me because I was writing most, well, last year, I was writing most of the year. And so when I write, I don't read a lot of other nonfiction because I don't want those voices in my head. So, uh, so my, my reading has been, my reading has been slightly less robust than it typically has been. Uh, I liked, um, but there are a bunch of books that I like. I mean, I have some here in the, I have some here in the office. So, uh, so this book right here is a very good book. 
by Annie Murphy Paul, The Extended Mind, uh, about how much of our actual thinking takes place like in a social way with other people outside of our head. That was very good. Um, uh, I read a biography of Andy Warhol that I found quite fascinating because there are a lot of echoes uh, for what's going on in our world right now. Uh, particularly, you know, he was a creator who did some things that were so um, different from what had happened before that people said he was nuts. And I have to say, reading the Warhol thing, made, reading the Warhol biography made me think, it's one of the things that helped change my view on things like NFTs, because I, because I saw the reaction that people had when Warhol made paintings of soup, can, soup cans, um, or um, when, when Warhol did, oh, I'm going to silkscreen things. I'm going to do it mechanically rather than entirely by my hand. And people say, that's not art. What are you talking about? Um, and it ends up being, not only does it end up being art, it ends up being a turning point in art history. And so there's some great, I, I, it, that's truly, I mean, I, I guess I, that's an answer to your question, Caleb. Yeah. I, I was going to say, it, I'm not sure I changed my mind on anything, but, but the, actually it's a it's weird connection. The Warhol biography made me take especially NFTs and, uh, um, and, and digital goods uh, much more seriously. Man, you got me so intrigued on that. Do you know who the author is on that? Yeah, it's Blake Gopnik. It's a very, 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 very long book. It is a 900-page book. It must be, this must be like a 500,000-word book. It's unbelievable how long this book is. Um, but it's, it's very interesting. And it's, it's sort of like the comprehensive, definitive biography of of, of Andy Warhol. So, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll take a year in his life and, you know, on, on a particular Tuesday, tell, find, you know, tell you what he picked up at the grocery store. Um, so, so you have to be, it's a, it's a big commitment, but it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And it has a lot of, it has a lot of resonance and relevance for the time that we're in right now. Mm, that's good. I'm gonna have to check that out. Uh, you did mention something and this is, uh, the unless you spark something else in me, this is the last thing I want to ask about. Um, you know, you mentioned whenever you're writing, you don't do uh, a lot of reading, you know, other nonfiction books. And I'm like, that's like, I'm working on like creating my own stuff as well. And like, that's a tension that I'm trying to figure out as well. Of how do you balance between creating your own work while still like learning and, and growing and all that stuff? And I would just be curious yeah, on your thoughts I think on you that. Can. I mean, here's the thing. It's like, it's like for me, uh, uh, writing a book is very difficult. It's a very concentrated period of time. When I'm researching a book, uh, I do a lot of reading outside. Um, it just during the, 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 during say a, a certain concentrated period where I'm just really cranking on it and I'm trying to figure out what it is I'm trying to say. And I'm trying to figure out what I sound like in this, on this topic. I really don't like having those other voices in my head. Uh, I'm not saying that's the right way for everybody. You know, yeah. your mileage may vary, <laughs> but, but that, for me, that's what it is. What I like instead is to read fiction because fiction often has some greater pace to it. And, um, and some storytelling and what I don't want to do because I'm sort of this hyper rational guy, what I don't want to do is get too bogged down in, you know, turning this work for a popular audience into a research, you know, a, a social psychology study or a legal brief. Yeah. Well, Dan, I know that people are going to want to, you know, continue to learn from you and pick up the book. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? You can go to my website, which is danpink.com, D-A-N-P-I-N-K.com, danpink.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, and thanks for doing the work. A pleasure being with you.
Okay, so I think coming out of that episode, there's several things that that I'm thinking about. One is uh, what he talked about with the the four different types of regrets, with uh, foundation regrets, boldness regrets, uh, morality regrets, and connection or relational regrets as well. And just thinking personally for myself, I've gone like, okay, if it if it has to deal with if it has to deal with one of those areas, it's best to do the option to where it leaves you with not regretting anything. And yeah, and so that's one of the things that I'm thinking about. It's incredibly challenging uh, as well because those are like, those are just four very big areas um, with relationships and with character and with uh, taking taking risks or not taking the risk as well and uh, thinking, thinking the long-term option of what you were saying with know, exercise and with health and even financially as well. And so thinking about all of those things, uh, the other thing that it made me think about, and I've talked about this, you know, several times on the podcast and even mentioned it in the interview is how I truly believe that we have these, these childhood wounds, these, uh, these vows, these uh, mental maps that we have created that end up leading to a lot of regrets in our life. And we, we believe these things and then uh, I think uh, emotion can sometimes get thrown into that as well, and it becomes very emotional, and we end up doing things that we don't, or we end up doing things that we do regret, because even though they, we would say that those aren't the things that are most important to us, but we did it because of the things that we were telling ourselves. You know, one of the uh, things that I've referenced several times here on the podcast is, you know, one of my, one of the things that I have to battle through is, um, is wanting people to like me. And so it is, or wanting the people to have a good view of me or good, um, a good perspective on me and just realizing that if I'm not careful, that can often lead to, you know, me prioritizing, uh, being liked over over doing the right thing or doing what's right. Um, and we all have that stuff as well. And so just realizing, um, and being intentional about breaking those things down of what, what's the stuff that trips us off? What are the beliefs that we've told ourselves um, that create the gre- the create the regrets in our lives, and I think the last thing is, man, I am so intrigued by that Andy Warhol book. I am uh, gonna get that, and at some point, I'm sure it will be covered here on the Learner's Corner as well. But those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. I would love to hear from you and some of the things that you're learning from and what you're learning about as well. And again, the best way to reach out to me is Learner's Corner Podcast at Gmail dot com, and we'll love to. Would love to hear from you on any guest recommendations or um, or just stuff that you're learning from or book recommendations or stuff that you would love us to cover here on the podcast. Uh, if you want to connect uh, and, you know, with a lot of more stuff that I'm doing, don't forget to uh, check out the Patreon, which is uh, linked in the show notes as well. Um, and if you're loving what we're doing here, then I would love it if you would leave a rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify just added you know, ratings to their podcast as well. That really does help uh, spread what we're doing here on the podcast. And so um, if you uh, believe in what we're doing here on the podcast, one of the best ways that you can help is by, you know, leaving a rating and writing a review on the podcast. I think that's all that I have for today. So I do want to give a shout out and say thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thanks to Garrett Oler for doing the editing on this podcast. And thank you for listening all the way to the end. Thank you, Dan for being on the podcast again as well. And 
I think that's all that I have for you. So my name is Kayla Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.